Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, August 23rd, 2020. And now, Pastor John Gentry. So, one of the most uh, nerve-wracking experiences for teenagers is the process of applying to colleges and universities and waiting for acceptance letters. Now, not all high school graduates choose to continue their education in a two-year or four-year school. They've got other plans. But for those that do, uh, that period of unknown can be deeply stressful. Will I get in? Will my GPA be high enough? Did I get... Did I write uh, good essays? Did I perform well enough in my interviews? These are some of the questions that a typical student might be asking themselves as their future rests in the hands of college admissions officers. It can feel a bit like being a product on an assembly line waiting for a quality control engineer to pass the product inspection or reject it as a bad egg. As students are sorted by colleges, by sending them letters of acceptance, letters of rejection, or letters of uh, waitlisting. Families across, across the country go through moments of elation as well as moments of disappointment during that time of year. Today's scripture reading also deals with sorting. Jesus tells a simple story about a relatively common occurrence along the Sea of Galilee. Fishermen board their uh, boat, taking it out to sea, and they drag their nets in the water in hopes of catching some choice seafood. We are told in the story that they uh, do indeed make a a great catch and eventually dump it on the shore for a closer inspection. Their next step is to sort it, um, sort what they've caught, separating what seems to be good, uh, the good catch of the day, in baskets and discarding everything else. In just two verses, Jesus narrates a parable that is designed to tell us something about the kingdom of heaven. In the next two verses, Jesus gives us some commentary on the parable. He says, So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Allow me to make an observation that at first glance, this is not one of those feel-good teachings. Throughout August, we at Palmdale have been examining Jesus' parables about the kingdom of God, and I will be the first to admit that this one does not seem like the winner you choose if you want to end on a high note. (laughs) Weeping and gnashing of teeth? Furnace of fire? Yikes! There's nothing better than a neighborhood barbecue unless you're talking about the kind that involves weeping and gnashing of teeth. No thank you. I have done my own sorting, and I'm happy to let this one end up on the discard pile. Okay, well, let me clarify. That was my initial reaction, and I don't just uh, discard parts of Scripture that I find challenging, but I had not spent a great deal deal of time with this parable in my studies of Matthew— So this was my first, more or less, pass on it. I want to encourage you today that perhaps we should allow ourselves to hear the words of Jesus in this parable because on a closer inspection, the parable not only provides a wise word of caution, but also contains a message of hope. 
Yes, I said it, a message of hope. Let's start with a word of caution, though. There's no doubt that in this parable, or that this is a parable of judgment. But what kind of judgment is being made? Maybe the best place to begin as we chew on this parable is to ask what this par- who this parable is meant for. This parable is not a message for the masses. Jesus is not uh, one of those street preachers that you might see at a big sporting event or or a concert holding up an outrageously large sign warning every passerby of the coming judgment and doom. This parable is not a lovely freeway billboard that greets every driver with a cheerful turn or burn. No, this parable is an in-house training for the people of God about their company expectations in following the chain of command. Robert Farrar Capon points out in his book, Kingdom, Grace, Judgment, Paradox, Outrage, and Vindication in the the Parables of Jesus. That's a mouthful of a a title. (laughs) That this parable, he points out that this parable is told to Jesus' disciples in private. They had left the crowds uh, to whom Jesus had been preaching, and Jesus sat with his disciples in a house, answering their questions about things that they felt were unclear about Jesus' sermons. This is uh, one of those non-2020 moments when the family gets home from a full Saturday of shopping or a trip to Disneyland, and one of the kids asks about something that they saw or heard earlier in the day that they didn't understand. Maybe they drove past a protest or walked by a protest on a busy street corner. Maybe there was a person standing outside of Vaughn's asking for signatures on a petition. Maybe they were confused by an incident that happened at a clothing store when a sales associate uh, saw them messing around with a mannequin and told them that that mannequin was probably worth more than they were. Yes, that actually happened to me as a kid. (laughs) And yes, I needed some debriefing after that unpleasant experience. It is in these moments that wise parents will stop for a moment, hear their kids out, and then help them navigate the questions as they think through what had happened. On certain occasions when a child has acted a fool, as my high school cross-country coach used to put it, or when they felt tempted to make a bad judgment call, the in-house business after arriving home can involve a word of caution. This parable of the net seems like it best belongs in the category of in-house business. It's a teaching for the disciples, and it's a teaching for the church. More specifically, it's a timely reminder that those who follow Jesus are charged with the mission of building bridges, not walls. Just in case you had come to think that, just in case that you had come to think that the church is the place where God collects all the straight-A students of the gospel, this parable should set some of those records straight. God is the judge. And at this present moment in history, we are neither the judge nor the jury. Our role is not to bring down the gavel on the world around us. By all means, if you want to play pretend and put yourself in God's shoes, then feel free to dress up in a black gown and a silly wig and furrow your eyebrows all day long if you want. But all you'll be doing is playing pretend. That's it. The parable of the net is a welcome prescription to treat any unwell part of us that has stubbornly held on to an us-versus-them attitude. 
Robert Ferrara Capon notes that the parable does not rush into the business of judging between the various kinds. Consider in the sea all kinds of fish and all kinds of junk simply coexist. Before the net goes through it, there isn't even a hint of judging between good and bad, useful and useless. God does not judge us at the outset. Rather, God openly welcomes us, and only after that proceeds to lead us down a path of repentance, refinement, and realignment, which is made possible in the abundant grace of God. The tendency to pit us versus them is not just a sickness of the church, it's a human sickness. For many and varied reasons, we can't seem to help ourselves from categorizing and labeling each other and erecting walls to separate the us from them. We seem to have a knack at creating us versus them categories even when we hardly know people. We do this in the way that we watch sports, for example. People that might otherwise be perfect strangers become the enemy, so to speak, when they are wearing the wrong kind of hat or jersey. Feelings about a rival team can be so intense that on rare occasions actual crimes are committed in the name of loyalty to a particular team. A famous example is the 2011 beating that occurred outside of Dodger Stadium when two LA fans viciously sent a Giants fan into a coma. The victim fortunately survived the harrowing near-death experience and is now an advocate for anti-bullying. We also draw a line between us and them in politics, especially during election seasons like we are in now. All you have to do is listen to the campaign ads that go after the character and the performance of the other party's uh, candidate. As you know, they can get pretty ugly. We also use these polarizing labels of us and them within religion to identify those who who seem to get it and those who are outsiders. Why is it that Christians, whom I would think would be the last to put labels on people, are so frequently guilty of behaving or thinking like card-carrying members of a highly exclusive club. This may not describe you, and I hope that it doesn't, but it is a sad reality that even the followers of Jesus sometimes forget that their teacher and Savior came to build bridges, not walls. When the disciples came to Jesus to ask about how things will ultimately play out, Jesus teaches them about a God who loves justice and yet in the same breath has every good intention for the created order that he loves so deeply. Jesus, in his classic style of evading our tendency to make everything black and white, answers the disciples' questions concerning this parable of the weeds by telling them, you guessed it, another parable. (laughs) The first image that we have entered, that would have entered the disciples' minds, would have been the nearby Sea of Galilee which as you've heard in the time of children, is a large freshwater lake at the northern end of Israel, close to Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, and touching the the fishing village of Capernaum, where Jesus spent a a significant amount of time preaching and uh, teaching and healing. Just like the locals of Palmdale who have spent their lives just miles away from Lake Palmdale and a handful of other lakes nearby, I also grew up near a lake, And similar to Lake Palmdale, mine was also man-made. Like Hartwell, 
which covers areas in both South Carolina and Georgia, was built to control flooding and to use the dam as a hydropower station to harness the power of water to produce electricity. I grew up swimming in the lake, boating in it, swinging off of rope swings, and even camping on its small islands. I was not much of a fisherman except for a handful of outings here and there, but I do have some great memories of learning to fish with my grandmother on her dock. And I remember helping my, fa、uh, my father and, and brothers with pushing it out and pulling it in, depending on the rainfall. The slope of the beach was minimal, and during the inevitable rising and falling of the lake, the dock needed to be extended or reined in. When the water level was really low, I was always amused by the kinds of things that you'd find on the beach. Almost like dragging a net behind a boat, the exposed beach caught all kinds of things for us to see Coke bottles, collectible shells, fishing wire, dead fish, pretty rocks, etc. When I was younger, I felt like I was an archaeologist who had just uncovered rare fossils. It was fun. You might think that the kingdom of God would be more like a jeweler's store full of only nice things. And expensive things that have been hand picked with great care. After all, Jesus did compare the kingdom of God、uh, to treasure and pearl merchants in the immediately preceding parables of this chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. But those parables are less about the method of God's work and more about the value of a thing. In this parable of the net, we get a picture of the way that God works in the image of a wide sweeping net that catches anything and everything in its path. There is no discrimination to this method. The goal, like Pokemon, is to catch them all. <laughs> Robert Farrar Capon writes As the net gathers up everything in its path, not only fish, but also seaweed, flotsam, jetsam, and general marine debris. So too, the kingdom gathers up everything in its path. Jesus', invite,、uh, Jesus invitation to us, much like the one that he offered his disciples, is to become fishers of people. That is, we have the incredible opportunity to join with God in casting the good news of the gospel far and wide like a net to all who are willing to listen. The kingdom that we are witnesses to is not a place of judgment and condemnation, far from it. It is God's heavenly activity of going after the whole world with his loving embrace and recapturing those of us who have wandered off and forgotten just how good it is to dwell with God. It may be true that God's kingdom is characterized by righteousness, and in this way we get a clear picture of how there is no place for evil or hatred in the kingdom that God is bringing to its fulfillment. There will be a divine day of judgment that God, is,、uh, that God will、uh, is bring into fulfillment, at which time all things will be accounted for and made right. Our focus in reading this parable, though, should not be on the acti- activity of judging, which is God's prerogative and responsibility, but focused on the inbreaking kingdom of God that has its eyes set on the whole creation. This is a message about the widening of our view of what is possible and who belongs in such a kingdom. When we cut ourselves off from people whom we deem to be bad fish, we are practicing the opposite of the kingdom 
invitation. But when we allow God to make room in the boat for the great catch of the kingdom, we are reminded that we are certainly not the only ones being caught up in God's amazing net. Amen.